Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. It is Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. We had some amazing moments over the weekend. Beginning last Friday night, we gathered together at the Ark and had an amazing time together of fellowship and the Word of God and worship to celebrate this year's Feast of Passover And then Saturday afternoon, we gathered from 12 to 4 p.m., and the guys and gals got together. Everybody brought a dish. They barbecued hamburgers, hot dogs, chicken, and it was absolutely phenomenal. We had a wonderful time throwing a football around, enjoying Christian fellowship. Uh, We saw some amazing things happen. People that had been gone and gotten themselves in a lot of trouble returned with broken hearts. On this day of Passover, and they were receiving prayers for deliverance, Um, just absolutely amazing time on Saturday. We regathered Saturday evening at 530, and uh, we went to our church building in in Bella Vista, and again, we had a good evening, little different environment, nonetheless, very good evening, and we participated in the Word. And again, just celebrating Passover, and then Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock, we gathered together. There were some friends that came from Georgia, Andy and his wife, Elizabeth, who are elders. Uh, They come out of uh, the Texas area, and they're interconnected with churches, mega churches, and they know a lot of folks and everything, but yet they sat with us. And 
the story is <clears throat> Elizabeth got drunk. That's right. She got drunk. I met with them yesterday before they left back for Texas again. Um, <clears throat> and she said, I was so drunk. We were serving communion. And I remember as communion was being served on Sunday afternoon after the two o'clock service, which was a fabulous service as well. And she, I, I heard somebody laughing and going through all kinds of stuff. And sure enough, she told me yesterday that she said, I was so drunk in the spirit and the anointing. We were hearing all this on Sunday that the anointing of God was in the building. The spirit of God was in the building. She was drunk in the spirit. These are very mature Christian saints, by the way. So I believe that God honored us for our participation. And today is the third day, as we understand it, of, of, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, so there is a particular reading I want to read just to honor the Passover and unleavened bread. As you know, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a seven-day celebration. Uh, I had a trick question for everybody. I'm pretty sure we got it figured out by now, and maybe I'm going to present it on radio today as well. So, But anyways, I want to let you know if you're in the local area <clears throat> today and you're listening to this broadcast, that this coming Saturday, today's Tuesday, this coming Saturday, April 3rd at 2 p.m. at the New Wine Ministry Center in Bella Vista, uh, Laquita Sizemore is going to be sharing her testimony and bringing the word of the Lord. And let me tell you a little bit about Laquita. Uh, she has lived in Northwest Arkansas since 1973 and has been a registered nurse for 37 years. Most of her career was in emergency nursing. Laquita has this opportunity to share her testimony of deliverance. It is her hope that as she shares with you, that lives will be changed and that people will be set free. As it is written through the words of her testimony, she overcomes the enemy. So this coming Saturday for all the ladies, and I know sometimes the men show up because the food is delicious. <clears throat> but anyways, uh, there is a woman's meeting uh, Saturday, April 3rd at 2 p.m. where Laquita Sizemore will be sharing her testimony. Now, what the ladies do at New Wine Ministries, they all bring a dish. And, you know, it's always phenomenal. It's just absolutely amazing. And so the, the address for that is on our NWM Global Dot org website, NWM Global, stands for New Wine Ministry, nwmglobal.org, <clears throat> and that's where Saturday at 2 p.m. that woman's meeting will be, and Laquita will be sharing her testimony, and uh, boy, it's just it's amazing how many nurses are at New Wine Ministry. I mean, ex-law enforcement, uh, Vietnam veterans, military personnel, uh, People, you know, truckers from across, you know, the travel the United States. It's just really amazing the kind of people that God has gathered together for new wine in this very strategic time living in the last days upon this earth. And I wanted to ask you today, how do you feel about living in the last days? How do you feel living in the end times? Let me share with you just a little thought about that, just so we don't get bored with the idea. Uh, I want to refer to a friend that uh, recently uh, sent <clears throat> us a little letter. And this is a friend of ours that we met uh, back in 2011 when uh, Rick Wiles from True News invited 11 different uh, 
prophetic pastoral people down to uh, Florida to have a, a watchman meeting type of thing. And Patricia and I were invited to go down there, and that's where we met <clears throat> John Moore. That's where we met um, uh, Augusto Perez. That's where we met uh, just a whole bunch of people. Steve Quayle was down there. Rick Wiles was there. Michael Bodea was there. And we all had a three-day convocation amongst ourselves to try to get direction for where things were going <clears throat> in our nation. Now, Rick Wiles has exploded from there. Uh, he he was launched. He's got his own programs now. He's out there. He's way out there. And um, this is all happening since that time. Ma- Michael Boldea, I just heard him the other day. Uh, he's been at our church. He's ministered at our church. Uh, Michael's a really neat guy, funny guy, serious guy as well. <clears throat> but let me just share with you what Augusto sent yesterday. And I'm going to have to get my throat going again. I could just hear Lydia saying, did you drink your throat coat? <clears throat> no, I didn't, and I need to. <clears throat> now, Augusto says, trust you are doing well. The signs of the approaching day of the Lord are now beginning to appear in the world at such a quickening breakneck pace that it is not possible to keep up with all this taking place. <clears throat> we kind of agree to that. It's bypassed us. I mean, lightning speed, acceleration, right? That's what what the Holy Spirit said was coming. Bizarre weather in the world continues to make headlines, and the world is no longer inching towards a one-world government. It is now running towards it. The powerful and the rich men of this world are hell-bent on bringing us quickly into into and under the oppressive control of the new world order. As the times are getting darker and harder, the sleeping church remains complacent, completely unaware of the trouble that now stands before them. My heart is greatly burdened with all of these things now accelerating. The majority of the church simply refuses to open their eyes and see. Their lack of interest and concern is truly appalling. It is very difficult to help people who think that they are already awake and can see clearly. Spiritual blindness has affected the ability of the people to see their own sins before God and the sins of the nation of America. He quotes 2 Corinthians 4.4, In whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of them who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So, If the people of God do not wake up and open their eyes soon, we will lose our beloved country as it sinks under the weight of its own sins. It seems as if the powers of darkness are, and hell itself are venting their poison upon our children at an age when they are the most vulnerable and sensitive. The youth also are being targeted at this time. There is a war taking place in the heavens right now. Time is running out. There seems to be a type of paralysis on most believers in the church, making them unable to discern between fantasy and reality, truth and fiction, as well as a lack of spiritual discernment, which comes from a worldly lifestyle, as well as a lack of a true prayer relationship with the Almighty. And I would totally agree with that, by the way. The international... Bankers, excuse me, the international bankers, globalists, and proponents 
of the new world government are working hard towards the meltdown of the international economies so that they may usher in a new global economy and establish their new world order. These things have been planned for many years, and now we are about to see it become reality unless God intervenes. We cannot stop what is coming, but we can impede its progress. We can repent for our own sins and the corporate sins of America. We can exercise our authority in Christ by pulling down strongholds and principalities through intercessory warfare and spiritual mapping. A lot of that went on this weekend, by the way, from another ministry that we meet with. This is the only way that America is going to experience a move of God before the final curtain drops. And by the way, speaking of a final move of God, we heard that in two out of our three sermons this weekend, the rich blessing and anointing of the word of God that came forward, it does appear that there's a moment in the economy of heaven right now where the true ecclesia, the overcomers, the true saints of God are going to experience a phenomenal event in the moment we're living in our generation before the dread of the things that we've talked about. And we, we find within the scriptures in the midst of crises, there is an opportunity. It's called a Kairos moment. And it's a place where in the economy of heaven, it's a ripe season. It's a set time where everything is going into chaos and confusion. There's an event that takes place in the midst of God's people, i.e., go back to Passover. Uh, Egypt was being destroyed, and yet God was supernaturally leading his people out of the house of bondage. And you can go on and find these scriptures everywhere. Something dynamic for the ecclesia, an outpouring, an infilling, an impartation of some kind to equip and prepare the people to go out into the wilderness. Now, I believe the first Passover is a total pattern to what is ahead of us, because the book of Revelation tells us right before the great tribulation, there is a people that are going into the wilderness where God has prepared a three and a half year preparation of nourishment and taking care of her. Many are going to be martyred. Many are going into the great tribulation. So it's not just a one and all. There are diverse things going on, but the church of Philadelphia was told that I will keep you from the hour of temptation that's going to come upon the whole world because you've been faithful. So there will be a faithful remnant going into the wilderness. And I just believe that when Israel was getting ready to leave Egypt and they were going into the wilderness, there was a transfer of wealth into the economy of Israel that enabled the people to go out into the wilderness. Now, what did they do with that wealth? Unfortunately for Israel, they built and formed a golden calf. There weren't grocery stores and doctors and insurance companies that they had to go spend their money on. That money was intended for them that when they got to where they were going, they would make it useful to do what God wanted them to do. So our wealth is never to be idolatrous. Our wealth is never to be something that we just, you know, use to for for idolatry or building golden calves to worship false gods of this world. But I do believe there's going to be a transfer for finances to make us useful for the things that God wants us to do, however that's going to work in this time. But it's just interesting to me that this great event is surely coming down the pike. Now, he said again, this is the only way that America is going to experience a move of God 
before the final curtain drops. Now, I don't necessarily mean America in my heart. It's the ecclesia in America. So keep your eyes on the Lord and one ear to heaven and the other to what is going on around you. He has not abandoned us, and it is not over until it's over. As I often say, I see a cloud the size of a hand in the distance. The rains will come, but not without the storm, lightning, thunder, and whirlwind. God bless you and keep you safe in the days ahead. Shalom, Augusto Perez. Now, I believe that we are in this moment of the best of the best of time, the chiefest of times, and it's an amazing time to be alive. I have hope as a Christian man that God is going to do something explosive, beyond explosive, in my personal life, in the life of our family, my family, my wife and I, and our family, New Wine Ministry, the church, I believe that God is going to do something phenomenal. I believe that it's all being prepared. I believe that this Passover season, uh, that the, the generosity of God's people at New Wine has opened a window of generosity from the Lord. And I believe as we are consistent and we go through the season, by the time we get to Tabernacles, we should have a full-blown open heaven. And I believe that God is going to equip his people. Now, you know, this is one day at a time right now. Nothing, you know, you can't put a date on anything and say, well, this is the day. Anything could happen at any moment. In fact, God could do amazing things today in the life of his people. Now, that's called balance because we know the other side of this moment, what's going on in the world. We know that many, many, many Christians are going into the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. We know that. It says it in the book of Revelation. We know that many, many Christians are going to be persecuted. They're going to be martyred. We know it's already happening in other places around the world. So we are not ignorant of the martyrdom. We are not ignorant of the persecution. We are not ignorant that there are people in the church that have spots, wrinkles, and blemishes on their garments, and God's going to use the Great Tribulation to help them get rid of them. But we also know that there's a people that are going to be preserved and protected during this time as well, and that there will be all needs met according to his riches and glory. And God will, once again, be a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, and he will provide water out of a rock, manna from heaven, and he's got a prepared place for people who are sensitive and are working and laboring unto him. So having said that, remember, Saturday, April 3rd, 2 p.m., Laquita Sizemore is going to be sharing her testimony, a nurse, for 37 years. She's got something to say and a special anointing on her life. Saturday, April 3rd, this coming Saturday at 2 p.m., New Wine Ministry Center. All right, having said that, we are still in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And there is a particular reading to kind of commemorate today. And again, I want to share with my friends, we are not under the law of Moses. We do not participate or celebrate the Feast of the Lord obligatorily. I think I just added a leader obligatory, but I think what we do is we, we seek, like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, to celebrate these feasts of the Lord with a spiritual significance. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, let us therefore keep the feast, and he was referring to Passover and unleavened bread, not with malice and wickedness, but with sincerity and truth. 
So he's talking about the inward parts of our sincerity and the inward parts of truth. We're not about outward form. We're not about following all the rules under the law. Now you say, well, wait, the feasts of the Lord are under the law of Moses. No, the feasts of the Lord were actually in the mind of God on the fourth day of creation. That is a fact. That is a biblical reality. And that the offerings and the feast had already begun with Cain and Abel. Just as Abraham was already giving tithes to Melchizedek, the tithe was not under the law of Moses. And yet there are specific laws for the tithe. So when we get into tithes and we get into offerings and we get into feast days and Sabbath days, all of those things existed before the law. Now, when they went into the law, there were prescriptions and there was, it was all wrapped up and it was preserved in the law. So the people of Israel, because God was renewing their minds out of Egypt, they did it by the book, by the law. Well, now that Yeshua has come and we're a new covenant people, we come back to the original intent of all of these feasts, which is the plan of redemption by God in the fourth day of creation. He basically laid out through the feast a progressive revelation so that the redemptive plan is revealed in the feast. Now, also remember when it comes to the feast days that in Zechariah chapter 14, the Feast of Tabernacles will be celebrated during the 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ. From year to year, during the 1,000 years, the people will go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, and any family that does not go up to celebrate will have no reign. Wow, I mean, that's reproof and rebuke. That's God's in control during the millennium. And so there's a literal problem with people during the millennia that don't want to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, but if they don't, the judgment hits their lives. That's in Zechariah 14. So the feasts of the Lord are definitely connected to the Father's heartbeat. There's, there's a plan in there. In fact, I've told people a thousand times, maybe <clears throat> close to it, that if you look at the feast, Passover is about Jesus, the Son. Pentecost is about the Holy Spirit. Tabernacles is about our relationship with the Father. Uh, Passover is an outer court feast. Pentecost is an inner court feast. Tabernacles is the Holy of Holies feast. Passover is a 30-fold feast. Pentecost is a 60-fold feast. Tabernacles is a 100-fold feast. And so you have this progression. We, we're, we're saved by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ, Passover. We get filled with the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. And the Spirit and the blood work together to bring us to the Father. They're all working to bringing us to the Father. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Everything that Christ has done, that the Holy Spirit is doing, is to bring us and prepare us to meet the Father. That's a holy of holies, hundredfold reality. Now, you have also the realm of faith, Passover. The realm of hope, Pentecost. The realm of love, tabernacles. So we could go on down the list, and there are many extensions. We have the, the flesh, our outward physical bodies. We have our soul, and then we have our spirit. It's, and, and tabernacles is a spiritual feast, whereas Pentecost is where the Holy Spirit came in and began to do a work in our soul realm. And then, of course, we're physical beings as well. So there's a lot to say about that, and I think it's pretty awesome. And because, again, we're celebrating the feast, let me read to you let me read to you Exodus chapter 13, and then we're going to look into the new covenant. All right, so don't be dismayed 
that we're reading the Old Testament. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You have to remember what he said. He said to the New Testament Corinthian church, we are to learn by what happened in the Old Testament so that we don't follow their example of unbelief and disobedience. 1 Corinthians 10, you got to see that. Paul the Apostle never, none of the apostles, they never said, stop reading the Old Testament. No, this is a complete work of God from Genesis to Revelation. There is an insertion of the law of Moses, okay? And I personally believe, and I believe Scripture validates it, that the law of Moses particularly was for the Jewish people coming out of Egypt after 430 years. And I believe that that covenant was for Israel. I do not believe it's for the New Covenant Church. In fact, it was a covenant, according to the New Testament, that was only to last until Yeshua would come. And that's in Galatians, that's in Ephesians, that's in Corinthians. I mean, everything that God gave to them from the Ten Commandments all the way to all the ordinances and the laws and the rules and the regulations and the principles and all of it. Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one of those. And then he said, it is finished. And he brought in a new covenant of grace and the teachings that he taught during his life on earth. And the four gospels are the foundation of the new covenant Torah, if you will, with the letters of the apostles written by the Holy Spirit as the constitution of a new covenant people that began with the Jewish people. So we're not excluding Israel, the Jews. There is an all-inclusive reality in the new covenant through the blood of Christ, and it's that Mosaic law that was used, it was good, it was from God, it was fulfilled, and then God took the Jew and the Gentile, brought them to Christ with a brand new covenant, and it's the most beautiful covenant in the world. However, as I said, tithes, offering, feast days, and Sabbath days, and a whole bunch of other instruction like marriage, family, I mean, all that other instruction is in the Bible before you get to the Mosaic Law. And the end is revealed from the beginning. So if you go back to Genesis and you study the pattern, you'll notice that the book of Genesis opens with a tree of life. The book of Revelation closes in chapter 22 with that tree of life again. Everything is going back to the beginning. So the instructions that God had at the beginning are for all the world today who will come to faith in Christ. And you're going to see that. But that Mosaic law was inserted for a moment. And that's what Paul wrote about, the, the, the one that was a teacher of that law. It was inserted for Israel until Yeshua would come. That's it. But it could not make anything perfect. It was not God's ultimate intent, even though it was good and holy and right. But it, the Mosaic law, absolutely no longer a part of the economy of, within the eternal purpose of God. Now, of course, when you're following God, you wind up fulfilling a lot of that stuff. But you're not killing sheep anymore. You're not putting pigeons on the altar anymore. There's a whole bunch of rules and regulations that nobody could keep. They tried with the 613 jots and tittles of the law, and then there were thousands of others. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, extra biblical rabbinical teaching and on and on. They tried to do it. 
And they were told if you failed in one sense, you failed in everything. And so the people that are still trying to keep all 613 jots and tittles are trying to do it all. And then they're trying to keep the Ten Commandments. But Jesus made it very clear, the Ten Commandments, you may say, well, I don't commit adultery, actually, but in your heart, you're eyeing other species, the, the male or the female, other people. In your heart, you're an adulterer. You may have not murdered anybody, but you've got anger in your heart towards someone. Uh, you know, the deceit, the lying, the false witness, the gossip, the slander, the backbiting, the pride, the jealousy. He said, Jesus just made it clear. You're trying to uphold an external tablet of Ten Commandments, but in your heart, you're not being transformed. So he showed them the utter, you know, vanity of trying to keep all the external things. And Jesus said, it's time for the Spirit of God and the power of God and the kingdom of God to enter into your heart to bring about a transformation of God on the inside of you. And this is, you know, this is just basic Christianity 101. And I've been on both sides of the coin. I have been so willing to participate in all of it. And I found a beautiful, critical balance of celebrating the things that were celebrated before the Mosaic Law. I study, I read, I look, I remember why does Jude and Peter talk about Sodom and Gomorrah? Because he said that they're an example. Sodom and Gomorrah existed before the Mosaic Law. And yet they're the example for the new covenant church that that's what's going to happen in any people or any nation at the end of times, during time, if they follow that example. So again, things that were written, written way before the Mosaic Law were examples even unto today. That's why we know what's going to happen to America, the nation, because it has followed the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. It has shed innocent blood. And so you know what's going to happen. You don't have to be a prophet to know. All you have to do is read your Bible, and you'll understand that the things that we're participating in in time past, when they participated in it, this is what God did to them. And Paul says, this is what God's going to do to you. God never changes. He's an unchangeable God. The only thing that has changed, there are moments through intercession where God has changed his mind. He was going to destroy somebody, but he didn't because of intercession, repentance, confession, brokenness. But the only thing that has ever changed in, within God are covenants. And the covenant didn't change God. It didn't give him an attitude adjustment. He didn't go to anger management class and stop being the God of wrath so he could become the effeminate God that they made him out to be today. That's not true. That's not true. Okay? The only thing that has changed is the covenant. You and I are under a covenant of grace. It began to the Jewish people first 2,000 years ago. The church began with Jewish people, Israelis, Hebrews, whatever they were. They became the foundation of the church. Thousands, tens of thousands of Jewish people got born again on the day of Pentecost when the Jewish people from all over the world were still celebrating just 47 days ahead of us now, Pentecost. They were all over in the world in the temple area, huge, massive temple area. Who knows how many Jewish people were in that temple area and all throughout Jerusalem. And yet the Holy Spirit came and they believed by 5,000, 4,000. I mean, God was just adding to the church. They were Jewish people. And then came the outpouring of the Spirit to the Gentiles in uh, Acts chapter 10. Now the Gentiles are getting in on it. Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. The Jews are having a harder time because they have a mindset of the Mosaic law. So Paul's trying to instruct them in all of his letters to get them to understand that has been fulfilled. You're in a new covenant of grace. That guilt, shame, and condemnation and reproach that you have felt in your life 
because you're a sinner, because you broke the commandments of God, it's over. He's preaching grace to the Gentiles who are like the Las Vegasites, if you will, or people that once lived a godless lifestyle. They're just receiving the grace of God and the mercy of God. The Jewish people, some of them, are trying to put them under the law, but they have this big council meeting in Acts 15, and God says, no, why would we put a yoke on them that we and our fathers could not even bear? The yoke of the Mosaic law. So they said, just don't eat things strangled with meat. Don't commit fornication. You'll do well if you do that. Just chill out. Everything else will make sense. And then the letters that come from the apostles are there. And so it's not an exclusion. It's an all-inclusive reality into a new covenant of God's grace unmerited favor, the divine influence upon the heart that's reflected in the life, God's mercy, justification, the shedding of the blood of Jesus, names being written in life through faith. This whole covenant that we're in is a covenant of faith and grace and love and mercy. Does that give us a license to live in the flesh? Heck no. The covenant that we are in brings us higher than the Mosaic law could ever bring anybody to. The Mosaic law could bring nothing to perfection, but the Holy Spirit, baptism in the new covenant of the blood of Christ, perfects us. Oh, my gosh. So Paul was having a trouble with the Jewish people because they're, they're stuck in the Mosaic law mindset. And then they're thinking they got to bring these Gentiles back under the law. And that's the big battle in the book of Galatians. And Paul's like, heck no, that's not what this is about. So it's constantly leading people out of their Judaism. Paul the Apostle in Philippians said what? He said, you know, I was once a Jew. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was from the stock of Abraham. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Concerning the law, I was blameless. He was a teacher of law. And then he says, but when I met Christ, all these things became dung to me. All these things were meaningless to me. The only thing I wanted to win is Christ. And he knew it wasn't by keeping the law that that was going to happen. It was his faith. It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was his confession of Jesus Christ, that his sins were forgiven. And then he began the journey of pursuing way beyond the law, way beyond the law. Okay, so that's what happened. I don't know why we got there, but we certainly did. So anyways, I want, that's why we're going to read Exodus 13.1. Exodus 13. Are you glad you're part of a new covenant and that the new covenant is not a license to be godless? The new covenant is the power of God to bring you and I to a mature place in the kingdom of God a maturing of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Don't be dismayed when you fail. Don't be dismayed when you fall. Don't be dismayed when you get in the flesh. Don't be enslaved, uh, messed up when you dismayed when you get entangled in carnal thinking. Listen, you and I are coming out of 6,000 years of an old human Adamic fallen nature. Okay, and then if you had the law on you, mamma mia, now you got to come out of all that. But listen. Every one of us, whether we're Jews and Gentiles, which in the economy of Jesus Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile anymore. There is no male or female anymore. There is no Scythian, barbarian. There's none of that anymore. It doesn't exist. In Christ, we are spiritual beings, okay, just to be clear about that. So don't be dismayed because God knows you are working out your salvation. 
You're working out. You're getting a new mind. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our mind must be renewed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the new covenant. I agree with that. But that does not exclude reading and learning about God in the old covenant. But just don't go under the law, because if you come under the law, you're going to be condemned. Because that's what the law does. It condemns. Because it couldn't do anything else. It was too holy for the flesh. Now, as you are working out your salvation, as I am, you get caught in the weeds of a carnal mindset. You get tripped up in your own fleshly thinking or your fleshly actions, uh, the pride of an old nature. The, the old man rises to, to life again. That's why you got to carry the cross. Carry the cross, keep them dead. But if there is sin, but if any man sin, I write unto you, little children, that you sin not, but, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who has become a propitiation for our sins. All right, so all we do is confess our sin, and if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You and I have a covenant that we don't have to wallow around in our mess for a week and wait for the year of the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies. We don't have to do that anymore. Our high priest has gone into heaven, put his blood on the mercy seat. It's already done. You and I, through the confession, through our humility, through our brokenness, through our faith, we can come to Jesus any moment of any day, confess, rejoice, repent, praise the Lord, access heaven. Man, we have access into this grace wherein we stand. So, Now, so we're born again. Woo, we're born again. Now, Exodus 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, this is Exodus 13, this is the reading for unleavened bread. Okay, the third day of unleavened bread. This is the reading. Began last night, by the way, at sunset. So we're in the day, the third day. I love the third day. Now, the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. So here in the third day, he's talking about first fruits. Now, this is a powerful lesson. How many of you know that this is speaking of a New Testament reality? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as I continue to read this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what you'll find through the writing of the Apostle Paul, who understood the law beautifully, what he said is that Jesus Christ is the first fruits. So when we talk about first fruits, we're talking about the New Testament reality in the type and shadow in the Old Testament is speaking to a reality, Jesus Christ, the first fruits of what? Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection from among the dead. And that means as a first fruit, there's a harvest to come, a harvest to come. And we know that there's the day of the resurrection that is right ahead of us when the Lord returns and is in the clouds and he gathers together his elect. The dead in Christ shall rise. That's the harvest. He is the first fruits. Now, so verse three, Moses said to the people, Remember this day, so today is to be remembered, in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place, 
There shall no leavened bread be eaten. No leavened bread to be partaken of. So in other words, no malice, no wickedness, no insincerity, no hypocrisy. Get away from all that in your life. Right now, no unleavened bread. Don't get anything in your thinking and your actions that's going to leaven the whole loaf. You don't want to do that. So this is a time. Now, this is what Christians, we should be doing all the time. But here's a great time to be reminded that we are to be unleavened. We are to be an unleavened people, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Be ye therefore unleavened, so that you may be. Get rid of the, the, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Even through Christ, you are unleavened. So we should not have the leaven of malice, hypocrisy, sin in our lives. Leaven always speaks of sin. But how many Christians do you know that are really concentrating on getting the sin out of their life? And yet this is a new custom this is a New Testament basic 101 thing, right? So again, this is the time that by the strength of the hand of the Lord, he brought you out from this place, there shall no unleavened bread be eaten. Has God delivered you from your bondage? Listen, this temple right here, this tent, it's your house. You are living in your body. Your body is a tent. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have this treasure, Christ in us, in an earthen vessel. And he said, if this tabernacle were to be dissolved, we have a building in heaven. So you, are, you the real you, your spirit, your soul, is living in your tabernacle, this house. Now, this house is a house of bondage because of the carnality and the flesh and the fallen human Adamic sin nature. But you, the new creation, are living on the inside of it. And you're standing on tiptoes with outstretched neck looking to get out of this thing. But has God brought you out of your house of bondage? Or maybe you were involved in drug addiction. Maybe you were a prostitute. Maybe you were a drug dealer. Maybe you were a gangbanger. Maybe you were an alcoholic. Maybe you were a fornicator, an adulterer, a liar, a thief, a murderer. Maybe you were a liar and a deceiver and a con artist. <coughs> Who knows what you were? Did Jesus Christ, did God bring you out of bondage? Did he break the addiction? Did he heal your heart? Did he cleanse you of that, that prostitute mentality, that fornicating, pornographic ideology? Are you clean? Are you delivered? Are you set free? Is your guilt gone? Is your shame gone? Is the reproach gone? Have you forgiven yourself and forgiven others? Has Christ set you free? Come on, there's got to be a testimony of people that have been delivered by the power of God. So this is only foreshadowing what Christ has done for you and I. Okay? Verse 4, this day came you out in the month Abib. All right, so it's all talking about the time we're in right now. Verse 5, Exodus 13, verse 5. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swore unto your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Now to the Jewish people, to the Israelites, their promised land, their Canaan was Israel. That was their land. And on that land, before they arrived, were the Canaanite nations, the ites. But there was a promise made to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that their seed 
would enter and, and into that land. It was a promise. Okay? So, they're remembering right now in this feast that God is introducing them to, the Jewish people are remembering, your God, there's a promise ahead of you. Now, in the new covenant, we have fathers. We can go back and say Abraham is our father because it's true. According to Galatians 3, we who are of faith are the seed of Abraham. We're the children of Abraham. So we could say Abraham is our father. But the promise that was given to Abraham for his natural seed was Jerusalem in the Middle East or Israel in the Middle East. The promise you and I have received from Father Abraham, according to the spirit that is in Christ Jesus, which came out of his loins, and the founding fathers of the apostles of the new covenant, you and I have a promise of the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, the city of God, the Jerusalem above, the spiritual kingdom. We have a citizenship in heaven. Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. So we have a whole born-again spiritual promise, and God has already opened the way through his son for you and I to access it, and God is bringing you and I into it, but he's preparing us along the way so that we could shed our Egyptian mindsets and get rid of the bondage so that when we enter into the land, we're going to take it. Violent men take the kingdom, how? By force. Violent men take the kingdom by force. And through much tribulation, we enter into the kingdom of God. So you may be going through much tribulation. It is through the violence or the energy of the Holy Spirit that you are going to take the kingdom. Press into it. It's a promise. So we go back here, verse 6. He says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. So right now, in the third day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you and I should be just kind of rejoicing. You and I should be kind of chilling out. There should be a supernatural environment around your life that you're going, wow, I hadn't known it could be so peaceful. I, all I knew was wind and adversity and trouble and trial and, wow, crazy stuff going on. But I've entered into something. I've entered into a, uh, an environment and the environment is way beyond anything I personally have created. I'm just participating in what God is doing. And by doing so, I have stepped into an environment that God has created that is very peaceful, very joyful. My inward parts are at peace. I feel the joy of the Lord. My relationships with my brothers and sisters and my spouse and my family are absolutely soaring and there's no fear, condemnation. It's just beautiful. And we're just kind of in this environment. And what is that environment? Well, I told our, I shared with our congregation this weekend that I, I have this, and I didn't want to use the word feeling because it's not a feeling, that I've stepped into an environment and it's not a chronos timeline. You see, there are two, two, two words for time in the Greek. You have the chronos and the kairos. Chronos is minutes, seconds, days, years, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's linear. Boop, boop, boop. Kairos is the unending circle of timelessness. In other words, according to the linear timeline, today, tomorrow, the next day, in kairos, there is none of that. Kairos is known as the set time. It is known as a ripe season, or it is a 
opportunity in the midst of a crisis. In other words, in the Kairos time of God, which is in the book of Revelation and all throughout the New Testament, in the Kairos time of God, we step into an environment of timelessness. And it's almost like all that angst and worry and need to do and have to this, and it's gone. You're just kind of flowing in the Holy Spirit. You're just being led. I mean, we go to sleep, we wake up, that still exists. But the idea is you're in something that is just kind of moving. It's like stepping into something that's moving and you're just in it. And it's awesome. And that's where God has called us to do. Now, how did we get into that? Simply by honoring the Lord for his feasts. We just honored the Lord. He says, those who honor me, I will honor So we keep the feast in a spiritual way with the greatest understanding we know. I mean, we're not experts at this, but we're enjoying the heck out of it. I mean, it's been a blessing in all kinds of ways. Offerings have been coming in, Passover offerings, and and our prayer for those people that have given it, the Passover angel is going to be moving in their lives. I mean, the Passover angels in the New Covenant in Acts chapter 12, when Peter was in prison, During Passover, just like the children of Israel were in prison in the house of bondage, and in Passover, God sent an angel before them, and Peter had an angel wake him up and brought him out of the prison. I mean, the type and shadow of Acts 12 and Exodus 12 are phenomenal. So all these incredible things are going to happen for God's people. That angel will go before them to keep them in the way to bring them to the place that God's prepared. I believe that's during tabernacles. I believe there's a prepared place, a promised place at the end of this agricultural season or the feast seasons for God's people, but they're going to be blessed and harvesting all the way through. Those who gave their Passover offering should be wide open right now to begin to see fruit abounding in the next 47 days, the 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. There should be evidence of a blessing. And it's not just a physical blessing. That's part of it, that God will multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. There should be a a new cultivation of a new growth, a new bursting forth, a new sprouting of the divine nature, of the authority of God, of the power of God, of confidence and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. There should be a revolution from the inside out going on, and it's going to happen, and it starts small. But by the time you get to Pentecost on the 50th day, and we celebrate Shavuot, then we go into four months of total harvest, and if we keep a consciousness of what we're participating in, both physically and spiritually, we should see amazing thing happen. And I believe God has determined our generation in this season to experience the best of the best even in the midst of the worst nightmare to ever hit the face of the earth. Wow, 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 wow. So now he says this. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with you, neither shall there be leaven seen with you in all your quarters. So enter into the environment, keep it clean. Verse 8, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. Now, you may not be a father that was in 3,500 years ago, but what about when you came out of bondage through your faith in Jesus Christ? Don't you want to share that with your son? 
Don't you want to share that with your children? Don't you want to share that with your family? Don't you want to go and tell them how great the Lord has been for you? And don't you want to say that, you know, even though it had nothing to do with uh, unleavened bread or Passover, as I understood, it just happened to be that Jesus Christ, but he is our Passover lamb. Now you start putting the pieces together and you celebrate what the Lord has done for you. What a great time. It's almost like a spiritual birthday, isn't it? Verse 9. And it shall be for a sign unto you upon your hand and for a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth for with a strong hand and the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Now, this is where the instructions during the Mosaic law, they wanted them to wear frontlets upon their eyes. They wanted the little tzitzis on the side. They wanted all these things to remind them. Well, we have something greater. We have the Holy Spirit who will remind you of all things that I have spoken. According to John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus said, when the Comforter comes, he'll reveal to you things that are to come. He'll remind you of all that I've said. The Holy Spirit is the one that keeps you reminded of the words of God, of what has happened in your life. The Holy Spirit is to be active and operative in your life constantly. That's why when you pray in tongues, pray in the Spirit, sing in the Spirit, worship in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is constantly revealing all kinds of stuff. And when the past comes into your mind, you don't crouch down in in, in shame. You go, wow, I was delivered from that. Hallelujah. I mean, it's just a glorious thing. But you don't need outward things to remind you. You have the Holy Spirit. Spirit and the Word of God. Stay in the Word of God. Stay in the Word of God. Stay in the Word of God. Verse 10. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. So we're keeping it in commemoration of our heritage. Don't think that the New Testament church has no heritage. Our heritage is Jesus Christ, the apostles, Abraham. Our heritage is God. Our heritage is all throughout Scripture. And to cut off our heritage would be a horrible thing. God says in Romans chapter 11, don't boast against the branches or I'll cut you off. Don't you dare lift up a voice and boast, well, they were cut off for me. No, they were cut off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith, but you beware lest you be cut off too. You know, so we never boast against the branches. But we, they, we have a heritage. Praise God for our heritage. Now, in verse 11, and it shall be when the Lord shall bring you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore unto you and to your fathers and shall give it you that you shall set apart unto the Lord all that opens the matrix and every firstling that comes of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, when then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man, listen, all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. Now, we're talking about the law of the first fruits, but that goes to the beginning of time. Remember when Cain and Abel gave their offerings. Cain gave the fruit of the land. God did not respect his offering. Abel gave the firstling of his sheep. He shed its blood. It was connected to the Father's eternal plan of redemption, foreshadowing the blood of Father God's lamb. And so he gave something that was connected to the Father's heart. That's beautiful. That's so rich. 
And so when Abel gave his offering, Father God looked at that, and he sees, Father God, his own lamb. And so he has respect unto Abel's offering. Now, why were Cain and Abel giving offerings? Because the feast of the Lord existed, and Adam taught them because he walked with God in the cool of the day. It's so simple, really. So when we come to this feast we're in right now, what is God asking for? God is asking for the first fruits. He wants the best, the first, the chief. And so when people step into this moment and they honor God with an offering, and we don't give lambs anymore today, usually what people give is out of their substance, they bring forth that chiefest, the best that they could bring. And they present that to the Lord in faith. Now, it could be money, it could be gold, it could be silver, it could be a car, it could be a refrigerator, it could be who knows what it is, a gift to clean up your yard. I don't know, but they're giving something that is precious to the Lord. And most of the time, quite frankly, it is financial. And so God receives this. Now, before the financial offering, God asked for one other offering. It's yourself. It's myself. We are to give ourselves away. First, we are to give an offering of praise and thanksgiving. That's in Hebrews 13. We are to offer unto God thanksgiving. The, the, the offering of our lips, giving praise unto God. Now, this is reality, folks. God wants you and I to present an offering to him with praise and worship that on our lips and out of our belly are flowing Thank you, God. Worship to God. Now, out of that environment, we give our offering to the Lord. And he receives it. And when he receives it, it's now waved by the priest. The Lord sees it. And what does God do? He begins to now set up the moment where he pours out into your life what is necessary to bring forth a harvest. And you've got to trust God in this. You have to believe God. What does God do with the offering? He gives it to the priest at the altar. It was always designed by God in his economy because the Levites, they did not work. They were servants at the altar. They were the ministers. They did the labor in ministering to the people of God. It's a New Testament reality. So God gave what? Tithes and offerings to the ministers of the gospel. And the the offerings from the people they give to the Lord, the Lord shares with the ministers. It's true. No manipulation, no con. That's the way it works in the economy of God. So. Sometimes that's really fruitful. Sometimes it's a little small, but in either case, it's always a blessing. And you are at a moment of now of the first fruits. And he goes on in verse 14. It shall be when your son asks you in time to come saying, what is this that you shall say unto him by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt from the house of bondage. Now, Being delivered from bondage should set in motion in your heart a giving heart. I mean, when you are in bondage, locked up, and all of a sudden you're out of bondage and you're you're prospering in the Lord and he's blessing you, it should be so easy to give. It should just be, huh. But tithes and offerings are more 
focused upon. I mean, you always have the poor with you, Jesus said. You could always give to the poor. You could always take somebody out for a hamburger. I mean, you could just give out of appreciation at different times. I've told you the story. When my pastor was alive, he just, I got so overwhelmed at times, just take money out of my pocket, give it to him. Here, this is just go do something. Thank you. It was overwhelming. You should, we should always have a heart of giving. Given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, shall men give into your bosom. Okay, so giving, but tithes are specific, offerings, specific, and you focus, and there's a blessing, and that's why Malachi 10 talks about the tithes and the offerings. I'll open the windows of heaven. Test me in this. Remember, tithes and offerings began before the law of Moses. Don't let anybody rob you by saying, well, that's under the Old Testament. Don't let them rob you. It existed before. They exist now. It's how it works, how it should work. We're not hirelings. We don't get paychecks, right? We have never received a paycheck. Patricia and I, 28 years of full-time ministry, we live by the tithes and offerings of God's people. That's God's way of doing it. So we're not a business. We're not for hire. We don't get a paycheck. We live by tithes and offerings. And when it comes, man, it's a blessing when it really does come. It's a glorious blessing. Should we shy and say, oh, that's a... No, we rejoice. We thank God for the generosity of God's people. That's why every time somebody gives an offering, uh, we thank God for New Wine Ministries for the tithes. That's how we live. That's how we pay our bills, by the tithes, which belong to God. But when you get to these times of the feast, this is like bonus time, and these offerings come, and it's like, Wow. This is a blessing, and we praise God for that. That's why when anybody gives the offering, we go into this just this deep, Lord, you've got to bless these people. And we try to give them the word of the Lord that they could sink their teeth into the word of faith, not tickling ears, scratching backs, and all that stuff, feel-good stuff. No, the promises of God connected to their giving so that they can move out and believe and wait with expectation and look at their field and look for their fruits coming now. The, 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 the fr- it's coming out of the earth, and it's coming out of their own earth, a new reality of their divine nature manifesting forth. It's so rich. Anyways, verse 15, And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man, the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord. Tell your kids this. I sacrifice to the Lord. I sacrifice to the Lord. Everything is unto the Lord. The tithe is unto the Lord. The offerings are unto the Lord. Your worship is unto the Lord. You know, in churches, we become performance orientated, and we start doing our worship thing so other people hear us. You know, don't ever do that. And if it goes that way, just go, nah, that's, not, the way, that's why, not why I worship. That's not why I praise. I praise the Lord. I worship the Lord. I bless the Lord. When my spirit is engaged and it's real, not just, you know, forced motivation, not just, you know, this is praise and worship time, so let's do it. Put it on. No. It's when your spirit is really moved with thanksgiving, and that should be a lot of the times. Amen? So, anyways... This is what they're doing here. Now, it's a sacrifice unto the Lord, all that opens the matrix. So they're giving to the Lord, all that opens the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. So there's a redemption involved in all of this. And it shall be, verse 16, for a token upon your hand and your frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. He repeats that twice. So, 
uh, there's a few more verses just in honor of unleavened bread. Then we'll move on. Just want to honor this. Verse 17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. So God is now leading them out. How many of you know he's the one guiding? But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Now, the Lord led them through the way of the wilderness. Whatever promises you have already received in your life on this earth as a born-again Christian, that is powerful. But how many of us know that there's a greater promise to come? It's called the promise of eternal life. It is the promise of heaven. It is the promise of a full transformation into the form, which is Christ, a total new body. There's a promise of a new glorified body that we're going to receive that never gets sick, never dies. It's a resurrection body that God has designed for eternity for you and I to be put into that body, our spirit, soul, totally sanctified, no darkness, no sin. So there are promises yet to be fulfilled in our lives. And God, it says, As we're moving now into the great tribulation, the end of all things, we have to go through the tribulation until, and that's how we go through the womb to break forth into the millennial kingdom. Okay. So we're going to go, but God says, I'm taking you through the wilderness. And in the book of Revelation, the wilderness is a prepared place for God's people living in the last days to be nurtured and cared for for three and a half years. So God is going to bring some people, not all, some people into the wilderness. And in that wilderness experience, our needs are going to be met. We're going to be preserved from the great tribulation, like Noah was preserved in the ark from the time of the flood. And we're going to be there. That's the book of Revelation. That's the end time reality. And on the other side of that wilderness experience is the promised land. For us, the Lord will return. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air after the tribulation, after we go through this wilderness experience. We'll be meeting him in the cloud. The dead in Christ will rise first. We'll be caught up. We'll be changed in a moment. The twinkle and I will be with the Lord. That's before us. That's a promise. And then we'll go. We'll be with the Lord forever in glorified bodies. Never die again. We'll come back with him when he's ready to judge and make war with the nations of the earth after God pours out his seven vials of wrath. And then we will come and set up the millennial kingdom. We'll be ruling and reigning in a thousand-year millennium with five cities, ten cities. We'll sit on thrones. We'll rule the nations with a rod of iron in glorified bodies. Are you kidding me? The greatest promises of God are before us. And yet the promises we've received in this life, some, some money, a house, no sin, bondage broken, Grace, mercy, love, truth, peace, restoration, healing, deliverance. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? God has been so good. And yet, this is a foretaste. The baptism of the Holy Spirit by which we're sealed, according to Ephesians, is a foretaste. We're just getting the down payment. The big stuff is right before us. It's on the other side of the great tribulation. We are coming to the season of the greatest tribulation, and everybody knows it. 
Just some people think they're going to be raptured out before it takes place, and that's okay. When they wake up to reality, they're still here. They're going to have to navigate, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit will be there for them. So we hope so. And so everybody knows the New World Order. Augusto Perez knew. Everybody knows it's all coming, and like a snare it shall be, but we're going into the wilderness. But if we're not the overcomers that are going into the wilderness, then we're going into the Great Tribulation where we're going to wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb. Some people will be, you know, in arcs, oh, yeah, Goshen's, it's all there, refuges, everything. God's got things worked out all over the planet for his people. And we're celebrating the time of coming out and going into the wilderness. We've already experienced promises, spiritual benefits, but there's so much more ahead of us. Wow. Now he says, In verse 19, finalizing this, Moses took the bones of Joseph. You know why he did that? Because it was prophesied that he should. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. But there's a lesson here. For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. So Joseph uh, had, had made this promise that the children of Israel would take his bones. What did Moses do? Moses took his bones. The lesson in this scripture is when you get a prophetic word, when you get a word of knowledge, when God tells you something, you have to pick up the bones of it. In other words, God says, there's promotion coming for you. And in two weeks, you're, or, or, yeah, in two weeks, you're going to have a brand new job. You're going to be operating in a higher position. Well, what do you got to do? You got to start filling out applications. You got to start writing your resume. You got to start knocking on the doors. In other words, you put the prophetic word to work. And you're going and you're knocking and you're t- carrying the bones of what you heard. And then God will breathe on the bones and it will become a living reality. We could preach on that for a month. Anyways, verse 20. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So in the economy of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this was the chapter to read today. And so we did. And I'm thankful that we did. Let's see how everybody's doing out there for just a moment. And let's see how we are. Praise God. I want to say good morning to Keith Carey. Good morning, Pastor. I am blessed to know you are blessed with Passover rewards. All right, Keith. Well, thank you. I really am blessed. And thank you for sending your Passover offering. And may all the promises we just talked about take place in your life, literally take over. All right. Good morning, PV from Kevin Hauger. Callie Reynolds is with us this morning. Good morning, Callie. Laquita, remember, Saturday, 2 o'clock, April 3rd, this coming Saturday, Laquita Sizemore will be sharing her testimony. Invite all the women you can if you're local. Okay. Cindy Messman is with us this morning. Good morning, Cindy. Welcome home. I know you're coming home. She misses us all. We miss you too, very much so. Joyce is with us today. I'm looking forward to hearing what Laquita has to tell us. Oh, it's going to be good. There's an anointing there. I guarantee it. 
Uh, Joyce is saying, are missing you, Cindy. Okay, Keith Carey, I love my local church dearly. Being found doing when the Lord comes, the plan is to create 10 new campus locations once each year, and I have to ask why, as if God were to tarry longer. Uh, He loves his church. Keith loves his church, but he can't figure out why they're doing that. Only God knows. I don't know. Anyways, Carol Carey's calling in. The scripture says the feasts of the Lord are God's appointed times for all generations. Way to go, Carol, from the beginning of time. Sean Woodson, hello, Brother Vincent, and my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Hello, Sean. God bless you, sir. David Ellison, good morning. Ah, Laquita, I pray it will bless you. Oh, it's going to bless. The women, Saturday? Mm-hmm. Got it. Excited to hear Laquita's testimony Saturday. Yes, get home, Cindy. Praise the Lord. Okay, now. Dennis Sossaman gave us an amen this morning. Praise the Lord for Denny and Sally. Carol Carey, the unleavened bread is pierced and striped, a symbol of Jesus on the cross for believers. Very true. The Haggadah in the Passover, Pesach, the Seder meal tells us all about that. It's very cool. David Ellison, prophetic, not pathetic. Amen, brother. Janet Ruth Ryder, good morning, pastor. Good morning to you. All right. Now, we've honored the Lord. I believe it. All right, we honored the Lord. We love honoring God. Isn't he good? And he's worthy of honor. So now we're we're here. And it's Tuesday. It's March 30th. April is coming. We live in the only state in America, Arkansas, the only state in America where our state senators, Jason Rappert, wrote a bill to protect life. Governor Hutchinson signed off on it. It is 100% illegal to have an abortion in Arkansas, except, and I'm saying 100 on purpose because the other except is, doesn't even fit into that paradigm, except if the mother is going to die in the birth. If the birth is going to kill the mother, they will abort the baby. Other than that, incest, rape, none. It's illegal to have an abortion in the state of Arkansas. God led us to this state 12 years ago never having been here before, but by the Holy Spirit of God, he brought us here. Our governor just recently signed another bill. Girls' sports are for girls only. Transgender males who think they're girls cannot participate. Right here in Arkansas. The first state in America to make abortion illegal. Oh, dear God, please make homosexuality illegal. Please make transgenderism illegal. Don't legalize it. Break it. Turn it. If you could turn away Roe versus Wade and make abortion illegal, you can do it there too because it's in, it affects the psychology of a society negatively. They're they're riding their bikes with the jackets. The future is queer. 
It's so sad. There's such an agenda. And we, oh, we would love to see that illegal. We'll love the homosexuals. We'll love the lesbians. We'll love the transgender people the best we can, when we can. But make it illegal again. It used to be illegal to have an abortion throughout the whole nation. It used to be illegal to, to do these homosexual things. It used to be illegal to have pornography. Make it illegal again. That would be really great. Boy, I love Arkansas. Even if they did it tomorrow and we had it for a month, it would be great. But right now, it is illegal in the state of Arkansas to have an abortion. And we rejoice, except if the mother is going to die. We rejoice. And hopefully Oklahoma and Texas and all the Midwest, hopefully it would be an explosion connected to that moment If you were to take the last day of Israel in Egypt when they were being spoiled and the Egyptians were just throwing everything, if we could just take that moment and expand it a little bit to a few months, maybe a few weeks, whatever, and just see this moment of the the glory of God so that when we go into the wilderness, we're going to go with some strength and vigor, vim, power. Please talk more about the Lake Charles dude, what he spoke about. All right, David, I'll do it. When I was in Lake Charles, Louisiana, speaking at a conference, I was supposed to be talking about some really good things, and a word of judgment came out of my mouth. The man came up to me afterwards. He said, do you really believe what you're saying? I said, yes. We had a long conversation. He warned me of the things that were coming, and then he told me about Northwest Arkansas. I'm going to leave it there right now. There's more to talk about, but um, we're here on purpose. We're here on purpose. And what does God want us to do right now? I know our vision, home fellowships. It needs to go into the home. We've known this for a long time now. It's all about house, homes where ordained men and women are set in that home to begin teaching praying, healing, and just basically set, being available for God's glory to come into that home. And what we see is ordaining elders in the city, in these homes, and then people start flowing to their homes, and they start growing, and they become, they become pastors, and they begin the process of equipping the saints, feeding the saints, and they begin to raise up the gifts in other people. They become their own, but it's ordained. It has order to it. It flows from the head to the shoulders to the rest of the body. It has divine order. Patricia and I have an unction to function in this manner. We've done it. We've been out there in the 1990s. We've been full-time pastors 28 years. We've started home fellowships. We know how it should work. And we want the blessing to be upon those house leaders. We want there to be an interconnectedness. There's a growing, there's outreach, there's growth, and it should flow beautifully. And if things get wobbly, we're here to protect. But we want to see that happen in Northwest Arkansas. I've been praying for two years. Why aren't we having more home fellowships? Why aren't, you know, there's people moving in all over the country 
into this place right now. There's the exponential growth, but it's not happening. What's the problem? Why aren't? Why isn't there a, a home fellowship in Centerton and Decatur? Why isn't there one in, you know, Rogers and Bentonville and Pea Ridge and, you know, all these different places? There needs to be. Bella Vista, there needs to be homes available for people, not people from within the church, but people that are outside of the New Wine Ministry family, because they already have a pastor, and we want to continue to pastor and uh, utilize the bishopric or the apostolic gifting from God or whatever it is. Well, we know what it is to kind of have order and oversight. That's important. Oversight. That's what Second Timothy is all about. The superintendent, the oversight within the bishop and to, to make sure things run smoothly and grow. And then, of course, outside of Northwest Arkansas, it's our vision. We've shared it with others, and praise God, whatever they choose to do with it. But in order, we believe that we want to ordain those ministers to start in their home, and the blessing of divine order will flow upon them, and then they could grow, and we could be there to help them in their growth, and things would work beautifully outside of this area. We have an RV that was given to us by a godly man, and that RV was granted so that we could start home churches. We're going to be going up to South Dakota uh, in May. We weren't there, we're not there to start a home fellowship. They're already starting that, but they're asking us to come and minister the word again. We've been there. We imparted the vision. People are running with it. We just want to see more order to the way things work according to God's perfect will and in a servant uh, attitude, but we're ready. Whether it's in the east, the west, the north, the south, the middle of the country, we're ready. We have ministers now that are being raised up out of New Wine Ministries that can now run a home fellowship. They've learned, and they could begin to set people come, teach Bible studies, pray, and just give place for the glory because God said the glory will come upon every house, and he'll set a defense around the glory. It just needs to be done with the grace of divine order, and we understand what that grace is. So we're ready to go, and we need to have an outreach into our northwest Arkansas and get people invited to these homes, and it needs to happen, and we need to ask God. Uh, eventually, I'm going to be having a meeting with the people that raised their hands, the desire to be part of this. And, you know, we've abandoned this thing of control a long time ago. Who's who? Who's going to be the one? That means nothing to us, but we will respect God's order. And if this labor and this work is going to come from this ministry, then it has to be done well. And there's something fruitful about that. And it's right. It's done according to the pattern of Scripture. Nonetheless, we're going to be meeting with people that feel ready to go and we're going to pray with them, and then we're going to start praying that people will come into their sphere of influence that will start coming and being a part of their ministry. They will have a covering. The ultimate covering is Jesus Christ. It's a divine order flowing, and this is what we want to do. This is our moment to do that, home fellowships. So <clears throat> it's the third day of Unleavened Bread. Whew. It's a lot of work to do. Work while there's light. Some of you are going to be giving up your jobs. I I see it in my spirit right now. You're going to give up your job in this world, and you're going to move by the spirit. You're going to sit in your house. You're going to open your doors. You're going to invite 
and you're going to live. And you're going to learn to live by the tithe and the offering as well to the people that you feed and care for and pray for. And that's how you're going to learn to trust God. But you're leaving your job. Your job is almost over. Your days of grinding it out on the road are coming to an end. Your days of wandering around, not really sure what you're doing, it's coming to an end. But you've got to submit to what God's doing. You have to submit to what God is doing. Stop hesitating. Submit to what God's doing. Stop grinding, worrying, thinking. Some of you are leaving your job. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. As you submit to the Lord, he's going to do some things. Right now, it's a ripe season ready to burst. Right now, out of New Wine Ministries, easy. Five home fellowships should begin. Easy. Probably more, but there's some just kind of on the wayside, kind of lingering, just not yet fully all engaged. Not all in yet. Remember, you've got to be all in. But those that are all in, there's at least five ministries, home fellowships that can begin. And who knows what happens? You, you might grow out of a home. Only God knows. You might be buying land yourselves and growing crops and building things. Who knows what God will do? But know this, that the leaders are designed to be humble, no higher than the knees of the people, but to feed the flock of God. And when you were ordained to do that by God through the ministry, and that is a biblical thing, when we ordain you to do this work, you've already been called out with your gifting. You already know, we know what the call is, the ministry gifts, but you got to get trained up, have go through a process of cleansing, washing carrying the cross, you know, you got to get ready for your calling. So when you get there, you'll be successful because you'll normally be met with opposition. But with the ordination and with the covering of Christ and the covering of the ecclesia and the way it works, it should work beautifully. And now is the time. Now is the time. So I'm going to be gathering with the people that want to do this next weekend I'm going to meet with people. Now, Saturday, Laquita is going to be sharing her testimony. And Saturday night is when I'm going to be bringing this up. And so every person that's listening right now that has a desire to operate as a, uh, a home fellowship uh, pastor, ultimately moving and doing the way God ordains you to do it with a covering, with connection, with growth and outreach, multiply, be fruitful and multiply. If you're connected to that and you're willing, we're willing too. So we'll talk about that next Saturday night because it's part of our vision and what God wants us to do. Besides that, <clears throat> enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy unleavened bread. Enjoy the environment. Step into the spiritual environment that God has created. And if you have given a Passover offering to this ministry, know this. It is being prayed over with the idea of a hundredfold harvest, because that's what we were told many years ago in Florida, that we are a hundredfold ministry with black dirt, golden shovel, and we're believing that when you sow into this ministry, you're sowing into something God has designed, and that you're going to reap a hundredfold, spirit, soul, and body. We have a right to believe it. We don't sell anything, no gimmicks. 
No toying with the word of God. This is what we believe. So know as you gave your gift, it's being prayed for daily. It's being prayed for that God will do supernatural things in your life. If you have not yet given your Passover offering, this is a perfect time to do it. You can mail it. If you want to give to this ministry, if you have a church, by all means, give to your pastors. Wherever you go to church, give to your pastor, even if he doesn't know what you're doing. Just say, this is my Passover offering. Well, what's that? Just give it to him. Say, this is my offering. Just take it. Give it to the Lord. Give it to your pastor. Okay? Wherever you get fed, whoever's feeding you, give. Do it with cheerful heart and with liberality. God loves a cheerful giver. So do it this way. Let God take care of the rest. You could also give online by going to nwmglobal.org. There's a donations tab. Okay. Or again, you can mail it to P.O. Box 100 in Decatur, Arkansas, 72722. Now, you know, we don't do this all the time. It's a feast time. Okay. We, we, we rarely are talking about money. But this is a feast time. This belongs to the Lord. It's what his word says. You honor him, he will honor you. That's the word. And that's our prayer. That's our hope. That's our faith. That your needs will be met according to his riches and glory because you're honoring him. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Daniel Seckham, by the way, is going to be with us next Wednesday. Not tomorrow, but next Wednesday, April 7th. Daniel Speckham will be rejoining the broadcast. Sonia, uh, the young lady we were going to interview today, she canceled out. She had some other things to do. She's asking that we reset the time for maybe Thursday. If I have time, I will. I don't know if I will or not, but uh, I definitely want to interview her. I'm also going to be interviewing a friend of mine that's going to blow your mind. You're going to love this. You're going to love this. Um, I'll tell you more about that interview coming up in a little bit. Until we meet again, this is Pastor Vincent Xavier. You've been listening to The Watchman right now on Omega Radio, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. OmegaRadio.org. There is a roundtable discussion. Be blessed with Patricia Joy Xavier, her roundtable group, out of her book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. Sure to equip you. Enjoy. And shalom.